0: Did you know that you should never use paints or coatings on brick, block, stone, or mortar? It's because it needs to breathe. Instead, you can stain it to any color that you'd like, and yes, even the mortar too. Staining is 100% maintenance-free and permanent, unlike coatings. So why don't more people know about it? We wondered the same thing. M&N Masonry Staining is a South Jersey contractor that has partnered with the oldest brick staining manufacturer in the United States and is certified to use their proprietary products and over 45 years of staining knowledge. M&N is scheduling residential and commercial building estimates now. For more information, call Nick at 856-217-1750 or follow M&N Masonry Staining on any social media platform. Today's guest I met about a year ago, and he's the first mechanical engineer on the podcast. So we talked about doing this, I guess, around a year when we met. We, we talked about it, but uh, Jim Gardler, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. I've been looking forward to it, been waiting for this. this is uh...
1: I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to you on this.
0: Absolutely. And and I, I was unaware this is your first podcast, which is exciting. I'm glad to have you as the first. <laughs>
1: Excellent.
0: <laughs> there we go. Let's rock. <laughs> I actually want to just real quick talk about how we met, man. We, we met through a mutual friend. We'll start there, which was really cool. You live in the next town over here in South Jersey. And uh, I started these winter pool events. And you obviously like to challenge yourself, which is why we connected. And we'll we'll get into some of the things you're doing too. But I had this winter pool event where you know the water is anywhere from 33 to 53 degrees, and you're like, I'm in, I'm in, and you're one of the first ones to come, and and you handled it really well. How was that experience for you? It was unreal.
1: Be honest with you, I hate the cold. I hate cold water. I have a pool, and I always keep it heated because I don't like going in cold water, but. I've been reading about it, you know. listening to podcasts, listening to Joe Rogan talk about it, and it got me interested in it. And uh, when you brought it up, I'm like, got to try it. Got to try it once in my life. And the experience, I wanted to thank you for that. I've never felt anything like that. It was one of the coolest things I've done, and it was definitely worth it. I haven't done it again because it's so hard to build up to want to do it, but there's a big part of me that does want to do it, to face that challenge, get in there and do it again.
0: Yeah, I love it. And you were actually going to come to the second event. You, I think you had some obligation in New York, or I forget what it was. Yeah, I was traveling out of town, unfortunately. We're going to do it again, though. I hope you join us again. The list is growing of people having interests, so it's fun. And I'm adding Asana into the mix. Nice, very cool. You get a little fire and ice action. <laughs> so I want to go to pre-career when you were a child, when you were a teenager. Did you know you wanted to get into our industry? Did you know you wanted to be an engineer?
1: Oddly enough, I, I kind of did. Uh, when I was young, uh, little, of course, good at math, typical engineer, right? Good at math. But I was always the kid taking stuff apart, putting it back together. And my dad, you know, before he passed, he he used to tell this story of I was the only kid he ever – my dad grew up blue-collar, you know, worked at the refinery, South Philadelphia refinery, always wanted me and my sister to go do you know, two sisters to go up and go to college and and do something at at another level but i always had that ties to the blue collar but he would say the only kid he's never heard a kid at like six years old say they want to be i'm gonna put it out there wanted to be an architect (laughs) so i was into drawing and and things like that so that's how i first started but then once i really started getting into um, as i got a little bit older and taking apart engines small engines and then in the cars i was very mechanically inclined. I worked at a boat yard when I was a teenager. So really loved engines and, and things of that nature. And to be honest with you, I didn't really know what an engineer was, even up until high school. But my dad, for what he did, got exposed to a lot of engineers coming into the plant and getting into home and uh, building relationships with them. And he used to say, you're probably going to be, an, you know, you should be an engineer. Look at engineering. And that's, uh, kind of how I went down that path. It was, but really at the end of the day, just the, Always asking why things worked, how they worked, and curious about that—that's really what drove it.
0: Did you consider any other engineering disciplines, or was it always mechanical?
1: Always mechanical for me, by just by default, because once I got the taste of cars and engines and mechanical engineers design—you know—the engine—that's what drew me to it. And I, I honestly, I was naive enough; I didn't really know much about the other engineering practices until I got to Drexel when I got into school. And I realized, oh, there's civil, there's electrical. And it stuck with me. The first year was tough because you're just doing the basic math stuff. But once I got into that second year where I got into real mechanical engineering, fluid flow, heat transfer, it just naturally made sense in my head. Still had a lot of studying and work to do, but I knew it was mechanical at that point.
0: Yeah. So the automotive end was kind of, you know, getting away from you. You were heading towards the construction and Honestly, it wasn't. So
1: that's an interesting story. I, I was automotive once I got into college. You, you realize it's so niche to design the next Dodge Challenger, right? You might be designing the widget to it. But I was still into how things worked, engines, and more so automotive. And I, by chance, I actually got hooked up my first co-op. I kind of based on picking my co-op close to where I lived in South Jersey by chance. But it was a great company. It was a company called SouthCo. And what they did was they made latches and access hardware. So it was a manufacturing type engineering job, and it was uh it was down at Bridgeport near you, Pureland. They had a facility, and that was their plastics injection uh, molding plant. And I interviewed there. They walked me through the plant. And I just fell in love, honestly, with how things were being built, you know, injection molding. And it was for the automotive industry. It was one of their their market sector. So I'm like, all right, one off, but I'm in there. They're making handles and. Like glove box latches and things like that. But I was interested in it. And that was my first co-op. And I ended up doing, uh, my second and my third co-op with the same company. They took me from, okay, I did manufacturing. Then they took me and put them at their uh, corporate office where I did design, product design. So I got into actually using software to design the systems. And then my third co-op was in their R and D. So that was, I got a pretty well-rounded experience. Did all my co-ops there. Came out first day out of college. I was, had a job offer with them and started working with them. And the way I got into the construction industry, and at this point, I still, I mean, I was hands-on. I knew people. All my friends were contractors. And I knew how to use my hands and build stuff, but didn't really even think of the design side. But by chance, uh, where my parents lived, I had moved out of my house. This guy moved in across the street, Mark Wachter, Wachter Engineering. He was around this area for a while. He was, I just got to know him by him living near my parents and he said to me one day, he's like, Hey, you know, you, I know you're an engineer. Would you want to just work on a side for me, do some drafting on the weekends? I'm like, why not? You know, I'm young. I got a, I started young. I had a, had a family at that point already. And, uh, I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And that's kind of how all the construction side started. You know, I, uh, after about a year of doing that on the side, I ended up leaving manufacturing and working with Mark. And uh, he really taught me everything he knew. I was there for probably about two or three years. And just based on how the business works, you know, and I was really functioning as a consultant to him. So I got a taste of, you know, I created a business name. It was like I had my own business. Now I was totally sheltered by him in a good way. It allowed me to see the business right from day one, you know, even on the business side, the financial side, getting paid 90 days, Working with clients, I got so much exposure. It was really a a great opportunity. I got to see the entire business. So I did that for a couple of years and then started basically layering on different types of experiences.
0: Yeah, I see that from your LinkedIn profile, which I'm going to go down the list here, a couple of companies you were with. But back to South Co., your internship or co op, if you will, did you get the experience from an engineer there to take your EIT? And I wanted to talk through when you took your EIT.
1: It's a good question. So when I was at Drexel, we really didn't, I didn't go and think to ask. I didn't really know about being an actual sign and ceiling professional engineer. So I didn't really prep for it. And when I went into manufacturing, didn't really think about being a professional engineer even then. Because it's not necessary a lot of times in the um, manufacturing world. You know, I'd heard people talk about it, didn't really understand it. But when I went to work for a consultant, it was, here's what I do. Here's why I can sign and seal. Here's my license. I got to learn all about it. So I actually had to go back, take my EIT after being a couple of years out, which was a challenge. And I struggled with it, quite honestly, because it went back to year one, year two of engineering. And uh, I'll be honest, I failed it twice and finally took it serious and said, I needed to go take a class. And I went to um, Trenton or uh, College in New Jersey. And I found that class and what I thought was great there. You started to see when I was in um engineering back in the day, 20 years ago, I felt like there wasn't really a track for engineers in the construction industry. I feel like that's radically changed. Now they have AE programs. Penn State has a great architecture and engineering program and You and line up for this business. I don't know if it was available then I would have went down that track. But for people who are interested, I think that's that's a great approach to it because you get to see the whole picture. But I went to college in New Jersey to take a class and 25 years old with these young kids, they what college of New Jersey did was they got them thinking about it like their junior and senior year. So they were actually taking a class in their senior year at night to prep them to take the EIT right when they got out of college, which I thought was great. And I got to work with those kids and it was a good experience there, but so I did that,
0: finally did that class and then passed my EIT. And when did you end up taking the PE? When did you get licensed? Which a PE, for anyone listening that doesn't know, it's a professional engineer license. And I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, comparing the EIT to the PE exam. Absolutely.
1: I talk to our staff all the time that are looking to take, after they've taken EIT, to take the PE. I, uh, this time around with the PE, I knew and it's five years in, it depends on states, but I was going out of New Jersey and there's reciprocity between New Jersey and PA. And uh, you need five years of documented experience. So I had to collect all my information for that, get people to approve me. I needed professional engineers to say, yes, I'll, I'll stand by him and sign off on it. I went through that whole process, put that together. And this time around Drexel at that time was offering a PE class and it's a one-year class and it's, it's a long class. It's, it was during the night. It was a three hour class. Got to meet some great people there in the class that took it with me. I still talked to one of the guys is one of the uh, facility managers over at Drexel University. So I got to make some relationships there, which was good, but it was intense and I really committed to it. So I spent that whole year studying and then, uh, you know, came signed up for the test as the PE. It's an eight hour test, just like the EIT was. And I think a lot of the things have changed now online features and stuff like that. But for me, it was a, Eight-hour in-person test for the EIT. You can't bring any materials for the F for the PE. You can bring whatever you want, but after going through that that class, you realize there's, it's a time test. And having everything there is not what helps you. It's knowing having the knowledge and having that quick recall of the resources you do need. So I really only brought, brought like a handful of books, and it worked out good. Went through the test. Me and the the other guy that I was in the class with go through the test, and I. I was always a good test taker, but the EIT was, was brutal. And with the PE, you know, I prepped myself, but I, I was probably the most nervous I was. I was usually, hate to say it in college, I was nonchalant about tests. If I did good, great. If I didn't, whatever, I'll figure it out. With the PE, I was really, I committed to it and I was a little nervous. You wanted it. Yeah, yeah, I wanted it all yeah. bed. So we get through the test and me and him both look up and we're like one of the first ones done. I'm like, oh no, like I went through, I checked everything again. He did the same thing. And oh man, we're out in the park. Like either we did really good or we've really screwed this up and had no idea. And back then you had to wait, you had to wait like six months. Oh wow. Passed. Yeah. And you got it in the mail. And sure enough, I was lucky enough to pass. And I would say since the PE, you can pick a track, you can focus on, um, your industry and there's still some upfront. Generic stuff, general engineering stuff, which, which is difficult, but you can get through it. And the second half of the test, it's four hour test, four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon. In the second half, I was able to pick the HVAC track and it was cool because now I had the science behind what I'd been doing. You know, we I've got a 21 year old son and he's studying engineering. He's like, why do I need to know this? And taking that PE was, okay, here's all the foundation that gets you to the HVAC problems. Yeah. So. It
0: wasn't easy, but it came natural and I knew it because I'd been practicing it for five years. Four or five years. Yeah. Right. And uh, definitely easier than the EIT, right? Because you had that you had that more hands-on experience and you were better prepared. Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. I signed up for the EIT and uh, I knew I wasn't ready and I didn't go. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I probably should have. The first two times that I felt I should have, should have wasted my time, the stress, but... Yeah, my path was heading into, you know, construction management. I didn't need it, but I was certainly considering on getting that PE. So you answered the Drexel. That's where you you were educated. You have a BSME and you graduated in 2002. So you talked about South Co., which you were there as a co-op. You spent almost five years there and then you transitioned into... Watchster and Associates, which you touched on. Then you moved on to White Cell Construction Company. Talk a little bit about that experience and what took you there.
1: Yeah, so it was really, it's okay. tough when you're first starting out and learning the business. And, it, you know, essentially, it was such a great opportunity that Mark let me function as a consultant underneath him. But, and he warned me all of this in the beginning, and you, you don't know it till you actually get into it how you get paid in this industry and and surviving and having a young family, it was a challenge. So we, we really told him, like, look, I really appreciate that. And I still talk to him, but I got to get something more consistent that I can count on. You know, at, at home, 90, I,
0: 90 days is tough, right? Yeah, it, it really is. <laughs>
1: and, and he really helped me out and tried to do the best he could, but the business is the business. And I wasn't at a point in my life where I could function like that. So I looked around. I really liked being hands-on. I liked working with the contractors and, I kind of again found this by chance I found whiteville construction it was really I think it was on indeed I was just looking on indeed and I found them a whiteville construction they they've kind of changed to what they are now compared to what they were but essentially in Delran and Burlington county they've built all of the warehouses and office buildings up in that area uh Mount Laurel they basically were a family-owned private developer that did everything they they bought the land they Excavated the land. They had civil engineering in house. They had architects, MEP. They had everything in house, leasing. So I, you know, started. That's what attracted me to that company, proved out everything I needed. I went in there and I, you know, we had mechanical contractors that were in house. We had electrical contractors that were in house. I went in there as, you know, it was at that point, it was architects and civil engineers and they needed a mechanical person. Um, they had been missing that for a little bit. So I went in and I got the opportunity to work on the same team as the architects, contractors, civil, everything and any, and leasing even. So I got to see the entire developer business from the inside out and it was great experience. Great experience. Oh, yeah. Could've, Absolutely. Could've you know, I, I tell everybody is, uh, you know, it's one thing to learn how to design it, but to be able to take my design, go to get, go down to the uh, HVAC manager and go, here's what I laid out. And they go, no. Do it again. Right? And <laughs> walk me out. Like, see that bend you drew? See how hard it is to actually fabricate that? If you can fabricate it, I'll I'll build it for you. And so
0: got a lot of good real-world hands-on experience. Yeah, I'm sure you did. I'm I'm well aware of uh, White Cell uh, Construction Company. I actually lived in Mount Laurel for eight years, so I saw them all around. Now are you sure you found them on in Indeed or was it Monster? It was probably Monster. And he might not have been invented <laughs> the, yet. Yeah, I don't think it was around because I remember looking on Monster when I was making moves, and I remember seeing like they had opportunities all over at that time. Yeah, good old Monster. I don't think that's around anymore, is it? It probably isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so then you moved on to how do you pronounce that? Gil Bay and Associates.
1: Gil Bell. Uh, so I kind of met uh, Jeff Gilbell. He's he's big in our industry and in engineering. Runs a lot of the ASHRAE chapter stuff and uh, got to know him just by being in the industry, going to events and gotten to meet him. I did that for a little bit. A great guy. Learned a lot from him as well. Did some small projects with him. It was kind of, you know, while I was working at White Soul, communicating with them and just trying to make some extra money and working on the side. And uh, it was great experience, but it was more of the same of one guy kind of building his own thing. And I knew it wasn't a long play, so It was a short run there. And uh, in parallel with, with Weitzel Construction.
0: Gotcha. And then uh, you moved on to mechanical engineer, project manager at Polaris Consulting Engineers. So you, you got some consulting experience there.
1: Yep, that was uh, Mike Wilson and Anthony Scalamandri. really good people, learned a lot from them. And then, oddly enough, the way it's all kind of connected together with Weitzel, believe it or not. So at Weitzel Construction, one of the architects, Joe Davidson, he now runs his own architecture firm out of Cherry Hill and just got to know, became friends with him, working at Weitzel. And uh, he ended up moving on, wanted to go into traditional consulting firm as an architecture firm and stayed in contact with him. And he called me one day. He said, you know, and let me back up a little bit. While I was at Weitzel, there was times where I was doing all the MEP. So I got to learn electrical, plumbing, fire protection, not only just mechanical. We would hire sometimes engineers when the job was too big for me to understand. We had a uh, Home Depot warehouse we were doing. It was like a million square feet, and they needed 24-7 backup generators. So they had used this firm, Polaris, and, so I called them up. And uh, I'll give you a name. It'll make sense as we go on. I uh, got to work with this electrical engineer under Michael and Anthony, Vince Drace, and just spent probably about six months designing these generators with them. So I got to know how they operate, how they design, and things of that nature. But one day, Joe calls me. He goes, hey, these guys are looking for someone. They need an engineer. So I went over, interviewed with them, hit it right off from day one, and uh, started doing uh, basically NEP consultant engineering with Anthony and Mike. And uh, got exposed to a lot of different type of work, which I wasn't, right? I was working just at White's, doing a type of building. And those guys still do a lot of retail-type work. So it's Petco, Walgreens, all across the country. So I got the opportunity to travel a little bit meet different contractors, different developers, different owners. It was uh very unique. And, um, they gave me you know, once I I'd proven myself, you know, they started to get outside their comfort zone and do some unique things. And they, I was lucky enough that they trusted me to do that. we started doing Lincoln technical Institute. I don't know if you ever heard of that trade school. I heard of so, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got a contract to do a lot of their designs. So I got to get into some re- really unique things. We did, welding school in Texas. And doesn't sound that complicated, but 150 welding booths, you got to get air in and out and capture all that air. Some pretty cool, complex design. So got some really good work experience there. And that's where I kind of really started getting into energy efficiency. It's one of my passions, you know, making systems more efficient. It was kind of at the start of when everybody was talking about the New Jersey Clean Energy Program. They let me work with, you know, a lot of contractors were doing the direct install and I, you know, not a lot of people were doing it. Not a lot of engineers were doing it and they let me kind of run with them and, and figure out how to get, you know, clients incentives and uh, do some good for the
0: environment too. So it was a really good experience. Yeah. It sounds like a well-rounded experience, which is, which is excellent. And then you were there with them for about four years and then you moved on for about nine years with Concord Engineering Group. Talk talk a little bit about your progression there.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um Wasn't really looking. They found me by accident. They were looking to hire. They were, believe it or not, they were looking to hire uh, someone to run their, you know, eventually run their commissioning group. Uh, They had a good group going. It's an MEP firm with commissioning, good people over there. I still talk to a lot of them. They uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, we want you to run, you know, get trained up and eventually run our commissioning group. And I said, First question was, what's commissioning? I had no idea what it was. I'd started to hear about it. Lead was starting to become popular. And, you know, just trying to research it uh, from the consulting side, I'd, I'd heard about it, but they brought me in, explained to me what, what it was. And, you know, I said, I still have a passion for engineering designing as well. And uh, absolutely. So they basically brought me in, taught me everything they knew. And, uh, what they really do, do well is, you know, approach commissioning from both a design and construction, you know, view. And, and we've, we've done the same thing here at Ballot, you know, to be able to really commission a building, you got to have enough design, but also that hands-on experience and get out in the field. And our guys do the same thing, you know, really get out in the field, know the contractors, understand what's really happening by touching the valves, right? And maybe not changing things, but at least being able to know what's going on and what's happening. So they trained me up in commissioning. They got me working with their guys. And then as we grew, I was able to help them grow that business there and then brought on some people to, to really take it over and run it. I got more, and I knew my passion was always getting back into engineering. And, uh, you know, it was, they allowed me to do that, take on some work. And uh, it was about the time the city of Philadelphia kind of was going through its renaissance, really coming back to life. And being from the area, all my families from, you know, South Philadelphia and Delaware County and, you know, all over the, the same region, I was the transplant. My parents moved out of Jersey before I was born. But I had a tie to being back in the city or being in the city. And uh seeing all the activity over there, I you know, I was given the luxury of going over and trying to get work and getting to know brandy one the brandy wines of the world, you know, the big developers and universities. And uh I, you know, said, you know, I, I'd really like to come over here and I think we need to start up an office. And the the owner of the company said, Yep, yeah, let's go start an office over there. So I then transitioned into starting up the Philadelphia office for them and uh really trying to get work. And uh it was it's a challenge when you're trying to be the new guy on the block when there's a lot of work going on, but, uh, we had some success and, you know, kept
0: it going. Yeah. That's where you really tap into your Rolodex, if you will, your connections, your, the people that you know in the business, and then that you start building a lot more. I see you out at networking functions. So you, you do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. So do you definitely you have fun doing it, right? You, you got to have fun. And, and, and this business is a business you got to love. And, and I certainly do love the business. So you were a director there for about, you know, four plus years. And then now you're with Bala consulting engineers. How did you transition into Bala? How did, how did that happen?
1: It's a good story. You know, I, by being in Philadelphia, Bala was just running everything. Yeah. You see them everywhere. They were building the the state of the art buildings, the beautiful buildings. And, uh, to be honest, I was chasing, I was trying to beat them, trying to get out some work and, uh, what I really, you know, I'm a sports guy. We've kind of talked about that. I love competition. I kept running into Wes Lawson, who's our, our CLO. Back then, he was a project manager and we just kept beating on projects, trying to go after projects. And, uh, he just, he, we got to know each other and we actually worked together on, on some jobs and we built a friendship before we even really started working together. And, uh, he, he would always say to me, he's like, I'm tired of seeing you. You know, why don't you just come over and join me one day? And, uh, always thought about it, but, you know, maintaining a relationship with him. And he called me up. He's like, look, I just want you to come meet, you know, some of our key leaders. And uh, it was pretty cool. He brought me in and and I met all all the partners at that time. And I went in there not looking for a job. I really wanted to see how they function, how they operated, you know, what they did, what made them tick. And maybe I could learn something from it. I went in there and spent, you know, a couple of hours just talking to all all these people who have kind of really changed the city. And as I'm talking, I'm realizing, man, this is, this is great. These are really good people and they think a lot like me. Not that where I was, they didn't, but I mean, even more so, I was like, I feel like I belong here. And, uh, so it was one of the toughest moves I ever had to do. Cause like I said, I have a lot of connections and a lot of people I'm still close with at, at Concord and it made a lot of good relationships and really good people and, uh, you know, left on good terms. It, it was, t- it was tough and it was tough on both sides and, uh, But I went over to Bala and, uh, you know, basically, you you know, spent the first year just really understanding our culture here at Bala. And that was one of the the things I didn't realize. I look back on it was one of the best things they could have ever done. And we do that consistently with people. You know, I was at a level where I could go get work or go out in the field and, you know, run jobs. But really what they said is be here, work with key people and understand who we are first before we start going out and doing what you need to do. So it gave me that opportunity to really get to be a part of the culture and know the people, which was, you know, I'm looking back now, that was the the building block for, to, you know, to, to be a part of something like this.
0: Awesome. Awesome story. And, and Val is a hell of a company. I mean, I see them everywhere. And in fact, we have some mutual friends. You're working with my old employer, previous employer, Hunter Roberts construction group. You got stuff going on with them, right? Yep, absolutely. And, and they're everywhere as well. Hey guys, it's Nick. I have a short message from our sponsor, MPC Builders. With well over 40 years of combined construction-related experience in both the residential and commercial markets, MPC Builders services the New Jersey and Philadelphia metro areas. Check out our website at mpcbuilders.net or you can call me directly at 856-217-1750 and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about your construction project. I saw that you recently got promoted. Well, it's going to be a year. You're now the director of MEP operations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And how's that been You know, it's coming been up on a year? It's
1: been great. And uh, we do a significant amount of planning all the time, all positions, all areas. We always have a plan. We have a plan for when things go wrong. We have a plan for when things go right. And, uh, really what I've been doing since I've been here, it's given the plan and help shape and be a part of that plan. So it's been a work over time, probably since I've been here, honestly. And that's what we try to lay out for everyone. There's a progression and you can take turns left and right if you want, but there's steps we go through to get everybody fully integrated and just as important as me getting up to speed and being able to run, you know, take on this role. It's understanding how everybody else functions in that role, where I'm going, there's a spot open because someone's taking on another role. And then as I do that and take on that role, who's filling in behind me. So there's significant planning that we do constantly that has really let it once now that I'm in the role, it's kind of like, it's natural. It's what we've been doing anyway, almost. So it's, uh, it's been a great experience and, uh, We've got a lot of good people, a lot of a lot of great staff. We've we've gone through the challenges and changes of what has happened with COVID. Um, you know, we're, we're we've been back in the office. We've really came back pretty quick because we like people. We like being around people. Our company's built on relationships. It's what we are. That's not just externally; it's internally. So you know, I think that being a part of our culture, is being around people and wanting to be back in the office, has helped my career. Right, so to be able to manage and work with people, to be around them, and have that be our core has been so helpful. And uh, we're really primed now, and even in a tough environment, to capture what's going on in the city and what's going on in all of our other offices—Boston, New York, Baltimore, and DC. We're excited. We've kind of really dealt with what's going on in in staffing across the entire industry. It's a challenge, but we've put in place recruiting good people keeping good people, right-sizing our company, lining people up for what they do best. And uh, we're ready for growth when the economy comes, or comes back around again.
0: Excellent. And if, if that's their culture, it's about relationships, you're, you're the right guy because you're all about relationships. And that, that was evident, you know, the first minute I met you. What's the size of Bala now, like employees? Yeah, we're 200 employees across the five offices
1: with the Philadelphia office being the largest. But yeah, 200 overall. And we've got probably about 70 here. Don't quote me on that. I can get you statistics. We're about 70 here, but we also house. We have our, our partners are based here. No, not all of them. Some of our partners are based here, but uh, CEO, COO, CFO, all is based out of here. Our accounting and our marketing and human resources team is based out of here.
0: Got it. What are you excited about most that you're working on right now that, that, that Bala and team is working on that you're allowed to share? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the stuff I can be
1: very, very high level. But, you know, what we've been for a lion's share of the, of the history of the company is a multifamily high rise and office company. We've built most of Philadelphia. We're in New York. We're in, you know, like I said, Boston, Baltimore and D.C. And what we've done is plan to diversify. And we've done that. So we're seeing life science now. We're doing life science work. Mission critical part of our heritage. It has been mission critical. We really see that coming back now with with AI. It's just driving the demand for data centers. I can only go so far in talking about the details of mission critical, but it's a lot of major players making a lot of moves. So we see that on our horizon. And the multifamily high rise is tough right now. Speaking of high rise and corporate office space, it's a challenge. Right, it's a challenge in the entire industry. I will say though, we are seeing a lot of activity and we're actually doing a lot of work in corporate interiors in the city of Philadelphia. It's just different. We have really clients coming to us. We don't know how to, we've, we need to downsize our space and we don't know how to really use it anymore. Architects, we're working together with architects to work with people who are occupying these buildings. How do we really use the space to, to its best advantage? Uh, we have a, we have a technology team here and really that's got, they're bringing so much to the table up front how does teams how do these devices interact with each other and how do we encourage people to want to be in the office to make it a good working space so we've actually seen a lot of activity in corporate interiors it's more on a smaller scale it's repurposing and repositioning but it's active right now and i would say on the on the kind of going back to the multifamily side we still have good work i would say it's just really slow to move is what i say it's Get the schematic level design. Let's get a pricing set out there. Let's get feedback on pricing. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. We'll move fast and then sit and wait. And everybody's feeling it. Just the pricing is still trying to come back under control. It seems like it's starting to come back now on in line, but the financing and the fed rate is really what's driving a lot of decisions. There's a lot of pent up inventory though. It's just ready to rock because there's still really a housing crisis. There's still a demand for housing. It's really. The financials have to work out for developers and you can't blame them. It's really got to, it's got to pencil out it be irresponsible to build at the rates that, you know, don't make the system, make these buildings pay back. And then you're, you're, you end up in a bad spot and put a lot of people in a bad spot, but multifamily, we're doing more. So I would say there's still hot pockets, hot areas throughout the country. And that's where we're seeing the most, we're taking what we do well in our cities, in our five cities, those relationships and going outside of those cities. We're in Nashville. We're in Charlotte. We're in there. That's where we're seeing a lot of the multifamily activity because there's still a need. And what we're really excited about, we're seeing a lot of activity on the affordable housing side because that's one of the, our biggest problems in this country. And I think in the past, the affordable housing has been really, was really pushed down and the quality of product wasn't there. And we wouldn't do a lot of that type of work in the past, just not where we want to be. What we're seeing now though is high quality work. It's banked by energy incentives, backed by federal investments, and we're seeing a high-quality product. We're looking at lead buildings that are affordable housing, well building, or sorry, not well, but more so passive house buildings that are affordable housing. We're really excited about that because it it covers two bases for us: taking care of people, being a steward of the people, and then also looking at you know really driving energy efficiency.
0: Got it. Which which I want to talk about a little bit here, but but. Quickly on Nashville, I was there about six years ago, and they were booming back then. Is the city still booming? It still is a lot in construction. We've got three towers under construction right now down there.
1: You would think the the bubble has to burst it at some <laughs> point, but there's, there's still just a lot of activity. It.
0: Yeah. I've been talking about that burst for a long time now. Yep. I think it's inevitable, but no one knows when. Yep, Exactly. I want to talk about what a lot of people call acronyms. Doing a little research on the the letters behind your name, which uh, which I, which is what I love about this business because you always you always learn things. They're actually not considered acronyms. They're postnominal initials, titles, or letters. And you have you have a CBCP, which is Certified Building Commissioning Professional, and you have a CEM, which is a Certified Energy Manager. And you have an e B c p, which is existing building commission professional, right? Yes. I love a little it. bit of an
1: alphabet soup there.
0: That's good stuff. <laughs> now Now, how was it with getting those certifications is the process?
1: It's uh, Association of Energy Engineers is where I've got them. A great society. I really like how they, how they how they do it. So really, there's a couple of different tracks you can take. There's experience required but it's, it's focused on the training. Uh, you know, I, most of the times I would take the the five day, you know, they range from between two day and five day classes. Like a lot of, for all three of them, I took the, I want to do the five day class, get, you know, kind of disappear into it and focus on it, go through the full training and then you take a test at the end of the class. But there's also considerable requirements you got to do in order to even be able to take, go to that training and take that class the PE helps a lot, checks a lot of boxes by having that PE already. And that's when I had taken them as after I'd gotten my PE. But really the reason why I got them is I got, had gotten into commissioning. I really, you know, put my money where my mouth is. You know, I did it a little bit and I said, I want to get certified since I'm doing this. I really want to see behind the scenes, right? Like what's, what's the science that backs up what I'm doing kind of like when I took my PE. So that's how I got the certified building commissioning professional uh, one. That's what really drove me to do it certified energy manager was really, 2008 was a boom for energy efficiency. And I got it. I had the opportunity to get into a lot of energy auditing and energy performance type projects. Took the same path. I'd been doing it for a little bit. Let me see the science behind it. And basically went, got some detailed training and, uh, you know, passed, you know, took that test. And the existing building commission, something I'm still passionate about is we've got a lot of good product in buildings in the country. And a lot of the times we build these complex, complicated buildings, really what it comes down to if they're running inefficiently, efficiently is providing that knowledge to the people who are running it. How, how do they run it? And to me, that's really what existing building commissioning means is of the systems that you have without having to do a brand new design, how do I get it tuned it up? And that's the gearhead in me. How do I tune this a little bit more? How do I make it run better? In order to do that type of work, a lot of times like New York City, I believe it still does, requires you to be a certified existing building commission professional. So that was part of it too. In order to be able to do that work, you had to be certified in that work.
0: Thanks for sharing, man. I appreciate that. Now for the fun part, what does Jim like to do outside of work and hobbies? And I know BJJ is one of them. Yes. And I promised you, I'm still going to come to your, uh, do you call them dojos? Is that what they call them or? Or is gym, it just gym uh, dojo, j- yeah. temple, whatever you want to call it? <laughs> yeah, because you know I'm an MMA fan, and uh, but I, I definitely want to check it out. I told you I would since you did the ice bath or ice pool. I am going to check it out. How's that been going for you? So,
1: <laughs> so we could both set a timeline to get back to it. Not to discourage you, but back in March I, I tweaked my back. See, that's what I'm afraid of. I know. I know. I wasn't even doing anything crazy. I
0: want to do it, but I'm so afraid of that, man. You can't worry
1: about that, right? I could have got hurt doing anything. I already had a pre-existing condition, herniated disc, and uh it wasn't even anything crazy. It would have happened anyway because I was just warming up and back locked up. I herniated my disc again. So I'm about to get surgery on that in November, but the plan is to get back on the mats. I want to get back on the mats.
0: You do. So that's not going to deter you. You're going to get surgery in your back, huh?
1: Yep. I already had it once. It's the second time I'm
0: getting the same surgery, so... Okay. It's, uh, it's, it's just age. You're you're going to fall apart anyway. Might as well have some fun doing it as well. Yeah. Like. I think I might stick to running in ice baths. I don't know. <laughs> I get it, but you probably get the same euphoria. I, I can never get into running
1: for me personally because it was always punishment in sports, right? But, you know, jujitsu, there, there's so much mental, the mental part of it that I get out of it. It's actually, you know, and as I've gotten older, I know, and you learn in jujitsu, you know, when to say when, or you're going to get hurt. And there's so much respect if you go to the right gym, and I trained down at Riverfront when Billy Shaw and Alicia I run that if you create a culture of just respect, you know, honor, it all comes with the, the martial arts. There's something there. There really is something there that everybody I believe should be exposed to. To some whatever you do, just do anything. I don't care what it is, if it's karate, taekwondo, whatever it is, you'll get so much out of it mentally. And that's that's really what I've been missing. It's less about, you know, you don't get me wrong, you get significant training. It's it's the hardest workouts I've ever done. Play football, baseball, basketball. Just spending an hour on the mats. There's nothing better to hit every muscle group, cardio, everything, the mental side of it, what it does for you. It's it really turns in for me, it's almost like a meditation when you're in, you get into that state. So well, we'll be back.
0: It'll be some time. Maybe we'll set a set a challenge of how fast I can get back and when you go. You got it, man. I can certainly relate to the running piece when you're doing a marathon or you're doing a 50K. I just did my first 50K that actually this last weekend, the mental fortitude needed for that. It's challenging, not only physically, but mentally. And yeah, it sucks when you're doing it. But when you're done, oh my God, like it's just the feeling of accomplishment. And, you know, you did something so challenging. And next thing I know, I'm looking for the next one. You know, I'm looking for something even harder, you know, and I get a lot out of it, even though I've never been a runner. I was always an athlete, not a runner. But it's, uh, it's challenging, and that's what I want. I want challenging. I don't want to get hurt, though. <laughs> yeah, <I know.
1: laughs> The one thing I, I always I, – I don't know who said this phrase. I can't take credit for it, but do easy things every day, hard life. Do hard things every day, easy life, right? It resonates with me. Doing hard things. And that, that's this pull the pull plunge. Like, I, I hate it. I didn't want to do it, but I forced myself to do it. And after, like, you, you saw me. It was euphoric afterwards. There's nothing, nothing like it.
0: I've been doing it now for three years and and it's still a mental like it's a mental I have a couple of names for it i won't I won't use the words, but <laughs> it, you have to really get yourself psyched up for it even after doing it as many times as I have, but once you in, it's just breathing and and you're so present and then when you get out, man for hours, you felt it for hours you you feel that natural high,
1: yep, never felt anything like that that was, that was a full cool experience and I appreciate it thank you
0: for introducing those absolutely and we're gonna do it again. <laughs> What else hobbies? What else do you like to do outside of work? Uh, really, I, honestly, you know, I'm busy. I got three
1: boys and I call that a hobby. I'm chasing them around, just being around them. They're into sports and enjoying that because I've got a 21-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 13-year-old and it goes so fast, man. I remember when they were little. So as I've gotten older, I've learned to just appreciate the chaos of trying to get home, feed them dinner, get them to practice. Yeah, it's crazy, but by having a 21, 21 year old, it, it goes fast. So now I'm just really, that's most of my time. It's, it's, uh, you know, chasing them around, doing things with them and, uh, and work. And, uh, you know, I, I've always, uh, I'll, co- I, I try to coach too, not a lot though, because I know that at certain point, boys, in, at least in my experience, there's a point where dad being the coach isn't a good thing. So I've kind of tried to sprinkle different times when I've coached them. Just to kind of try to make an impact and be a part of it with them. But that's a lot of the things that I do with my spare time.
0: Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> I get it with the kids. Totally. So since you have well-rounded experience, I just want to finish with this. If there's like a boy, girl, you know, young adult that's looking to considering the AEC, you know, industry. What would your advice be to them, you know, if they're not sure what they want to do? And it's not so much even the, the the college path. It could be the trades path. If there's interest in whether it's the college path or the trades path that does not need that degree, what would your advice be to someone that's considering our industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm kind of going through it right now. It's it, you know, my son, Jimmy, 21 years old. You know, these kids, this whole generation has really faced something that you and I have never faced, which is, you know, kind of going to school and gra- he graduated during COVID. What a, what a challenge that is in a different world. There's a lot of points that I can't really guide him on because it's I've never faced anything like that. And I think one of the coolest things that I've seen him go through is, you know, he, he was always a smart kid. Like me, kind of struggled at school because if you could take a test easy, or not necessarily always good at the homework. So he got got decent grades. Didn't know what he wanted to do uh, coming out of high school and, you know, started going to county college. Wasn't, you know, studying education. Didn't really like it. He was remote at that time. It was remote. And I kind of said to him, you know, college isn't, you know, you don't need to do college for me. You're doing college for yourself. That's the way I was taught. My dad wanted me to go to college, but it was always, it's my education. It's nobody Absolutely. Else. Good for you. Yep. And it, it was my path and I would do it all over again. I said, but that doesn't necessarily need needs to be your path. And believe me, when he was in in high school before COVID, if I would have said this, I would have thought, you know, I, if I was on the other side, I would said you're crazy. But those kids went through something. I said, take a year off, just go work, find out what you want. Like you, the world's different now. I don't know how to guide you. Just go work. Don't force yourself doing something. And he did. I I give him credit. You know, told him you're gonna have a you know as long as you work, you get you got a place to stay, a place to eat. I don't care. I'm not gonna push you on that. And, uh, he worked a lot of different types of jobs. I, I, I highly recommend I had never done it Well, I, I was kind of, he got into the service industry doing a uh, food service and stuff like that. My mom's a waitress and that's, there's no better experience to make you personable and talk to people kind of rubbed off on me. She taught me how to, she knew everywhere she went, she know as still there's everywhere she goes, she knows someone. She could be in another country and it's someone she ran into 10 years ago. I think that value of just interacting with people and learning how to work with people is priceless. I think, you know, I highly recommend that getting at least in high school or even out of high school, go through some jobs, different types of careers. You know, he went through food service. He was delivering pizzas and stuff like that. And finally said, you know what, you know, I never pushed him. He wanted to try getting into trades because I would always talk about the trades and never pushed them. I said, absolutely. I know people and I have family. You know, my, It works for a mechanical contractor in in Pennsylvania. I said, why don't don't we call Joel? You know, see see what's going on. He went up. The only thing I told him is you do it yourself. You know, just go figure out what you want to do and handle it on your own. And he went and he interviewed with him. And I think this is another good thing. He got into a trade and, and worked with people who were in the field and got to know people in the field trying different things. You know, he did that for a while. And what that allowed him to do is to see the business from a perspective that he didn't see it from before. And it turned it into. He saw all the different pieces: the designer, the owner, the service side of a business, the installation side of a business, and it it allowed him to frame what he wanted to do. And he came back to me one night, and he goes, "I'm going back to school." He loved it, and one of the coolest things was while he was doing this, he was bringing home drawings, saying, "Look what this engineer did." Why do you think they did it that way? It was really cool because it brought me back to when. He'd be playing sports and we'd talk things out. He was bringing stuff home and we were outside the function of dad and son. It was like, hey, here's a problem. Let's try to figure it out together. And I think it was good for both of us. It was definitely good for me to see that. But he came home, came home one night and said, I'm going back to school. And I didn't know what to expect. And I said, what are you going back for? He goes, engineering. He's like, I, I see. I kind of see what you wow. do. Uh, you know, yeah. kinda, he had a different respect for it. Because when he was high school, when he was young, before high school, I would kind of say, hey, you want to be an engineer? I kind of push it, the typical dad move. And I I started to back off because I realized like he wanted no parts of it. He's like, I don't want to do that. I don't don't really like that. So I just let him figure out what he wanted to do. But then came full circle by going through a process and being out in the world, experiencing the world for his own. You got to let him walk off the ledge a little bit. As long as they have a little life ref, you know, you you let them experience things. And I I know when I when I did it, when I said just stop school in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, what's gonna to happen to him? But and it wasn't easy to do, but they need to do it. They need to figure out, you know, on their own what they want to do. But you know, I think going through experiences like that, not making school be everything, important because I think what it now has done is now that he's back in school, it's his, he wants it, he sees his own plan, and it makes him dedicated and drive towards it rather than the teacher or or anybody kind of trying to
0: drive it for you. You know, I think that really what helped him figure that out is getting out in the world. I love it. And we talked about this a little bit, you know, almost a year ago. My son is 21 as well. And and every kid is not ready to go right to college or, or even right to work, for that matter, right after high school. And, and my son was one of them. He's, he's a little bit of a late bloomer and he won a little time. And he he took a gap year. He did end up working in the food industry, you know, oddly enough, and got to experience that. And, but, you know, he knew how I felt about college. I'm like, you don't have to, you know, if that's not you, you don't have to do that. He knows, he knows I took that path and he under, he knows how I feel about the trades. And, but he's like, dad, I do know, I don't want to do physical hard labor. I want to use my brain. I'm like, okay, you know, then, then what is that going to be? And he ended up actually going to college the next year and he's loving it. And he's, he's looking to, uh well, we'll see, but he, he thinks he wants to be a, uh, a history professor. So we'll, we'll see. Very and cool.
1: We find that out by doing things, right? It, it, you just got to try it out. You know, it's a, uh, it's a different world. And I, I think most importantly, not that college isn't for everyone. I think it's more about what do you want? Because you're just doing it because you're supposed to do it and you're not passionate about it. I think that's what I kind of, what's driven me my, my whole career is I really like what I do. I, like what I, really, I learned from my dad. He, he told me, he's like, I, he didn't like what he did. He, he hated He couldn't wait to retire. And he really instilled that in me. Like what you do because you got to do it all the time. And I think there was times where I was trying to push all of my kids, like go down this path. That's where the money is or that's where the whatever is. And I always have to remind myself if they don't love it, it doesn't matter. Even if they're making all the money in the world, they're going to be miserable. It's not easy. Like you I keep falling back. Well, you worry and you think about different things, but you got to come back to if they're doing what they're love, they love and they're passionate about it. It's just like sports. When you see them figure something out, They figure out how to how to hit the ball the right way, and they they get a hit. Right, that how they light up. I try to remind myself of that. As they get older, it's the same thing. If they're passionate about it and they want to do it, and they figure it out, that's way better than any other
0: status they could they could hold. Absolutely. Well, this chat was excellent. I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. Too man. Definitely. This is really cool. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for being a part of it. You're going to be episode number sixty. And uh, thank you again. And can you give your your social media, your, your contact information, anything you want to share for anyone that listens, they can get a hold of you at, at Bala?
1: Sure, absolutely. Email at JTG at Bala.com. You can visit us at com. That's probably the best way to find us. We, you know, like I said, we're a relationship company. All of our people of Bala are posted on our website and you can connect to us through Instagram. We're on Instagram as well. I don't know the, the moniker. I get, I'm going to get yelled at by my marketing team. I don't know the moniker, but if you go to our website at Bala.com, it's the first thing that comes up when you type in Bala and uh, find all of our connections through there, through LinkedIn. That's usually a good way to get a hold of me as well. But uh, if you go to our website, you can find not just me, but
0: all the great people at Bala. Love it, brother. Hey, man, I can't wait to see you back at a winter, uh, winter pool event. Let's do it, man. I'm psyched. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Connect with you soon. Thanks again for being a part of it. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Constructing Greatness podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at nicholasofac at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.